Hey, I'm Will, and this is Benj. We're both church planners trying to work out how to form churches in this post-pandemic world. I lead a church that's trying to grow big. And I lead a church that's trying to grow small. But we share an interest in the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. What will it look like? How will it adapt and innovate and thrive? If you're asking these questions too, then join us as we host a range of conversations with diverse thinkers and practitioners around what comes next. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast, brought to you by Gen 1K and our vision to see a thousand healthy churches in a generation. Well, hello and welcome into the Forming Church Podcast. Welcome, Will. Welcome, Bench. Welcome, everyone. It's great to have you with us. We are delighted to be able to bring you another conversation, which was a delight. It was a delight. <laughs> delight all around. It was a delight. I'll tell you what is a delight. Is tell me saying this guest's name. It's a good name. It's a great. It rolls off the tongue. Just Megan Powell de Toi. De Toi. I love it. We do have a bit of conversation around alternative pronunciations <laughs> of said name. Megan is the publishing manager at the Australian College of Theology, the ACT, though not to be confused <laughs> with the place I grew up, the Australian Capital Territory. No. Imagine if she was the, the publishing that, that'd manager be, that'd be a cool, of the Australian good, Capital Territory. That'd be a good good job. Could be a bit more dry. Could be. Mm. Yeah. She is a uh, accredited Baptist minister. Uh, she is a podcaster. She is indeed. Yes. She a has fellow, a fellow podcaster. A fellow podcaster. <laughs> Very good podcast uh, with Michael Jensen. Their podcast is called With All Due Respect. And it is uh, basically about disagreeing well. Two people, different views, different perspectives, and um, a bit of respect in the, in the mix, which is nice. Yeah, we like that. We yeah. like that. So uh, we uh, get into that topic really and talk about how to disagree well, how to live within diversity as, as a movement and as churches and, and church planters seeking to, to, to do the same mission in different ways how do we mm. actually agree well in all of that um and it is a wonderful conversation and very relevant if you are not grappling with this question in our current climate of polarization and division and general disagreement and cancel culture and all these things then you need to be wrestling with this question yes if you have any hope of being a relevant presence in the community so here's our conversation with megan powell Dutois. This episode is brought to you by Morling College. As well as their great theological study options, Morling run free courses, open nights, and public events on topics like transforming vocation, faith in action, bioethics, and more. And if you're a church planter, they even run a church planting course called Scent. They have a range of scholarships, campuses in Perth and Sydney, as well as online study options. You can find out more at morling.edu.au. Megan Powell Tatois. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. Well, you're pronouncing it the way I pronounce it. Good. Is that correct? I think. How do other maybe. people pronounce it? Uh, well, in South Africa. So, Dutois is my um, married name, but it's actually Dutoy in South ah. Africa. Oh, my husband has South African roots, but 
we wanted to be a bit more pretentious than that, so we've gone with the French sounding. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. It is a very satisfying name to say. It is, the yeah. Twi- yeah, it yeah. is, yeah. So thank you. Love for that. Thank you. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, aim to please. I'm glad I've given you that satisfaction already, starting the interview well. Well, Megan, why don't you tell us and our listeners what a normal week in the life of Megan looks like? Oh, um, I work part-time for the Australian College of Theology. I'm uh, the publishing manager there. And I have a book series and an academic journal and a magazine that I produce. And I also make sure that all of our faculty, including the ones at Morling, are publishing and doing their research. Um, and that's then I've also got my own podcast, uh, which is not paid but takes up a bit of time organising that. Uh, and I have three children who are two 16-year-olds and one 14-year-old. And they've always got lots more going on than I do. Uh, and then I've just got now I've got a little kitten, and that seems to be taking up a whole lot of my time. Yeah, in a pleasant way. Yes, yeah, small animals do that. They, <laughs> they tend to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. small humans, cute. small animals, they all take up yeah. time. Will Smalls? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, part, part of what we're trying to do with this podcast is um, represent diverse thinking. Mm. Realising that the way of the future is actually in, in a world that is becoming more polarised yep. over things that really we shouldn't be polarised over. Mm. That the future of the church is found in holding attention, holding differences, yep. holding diversity, different approaches to what we do, different approaches to, to theology even, different approaches to all sorts of things. And um, it seems like that's, that's a little bit of a theme of, of some of your work as well. With your yeah. podcast. And actually, I should have said, and one of the other things I do in my week, uh, sorry, uh, PhD supervisors, is <laughs> I'm doing a doctorate looking at tensions within evangelicalism and a theological response to that. Wow. Ooh. Getting towards the end of that, which is probably why I'm trying to avoid thinking about it. So it's, it's, it's both my praxis and it's my research, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's very good. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what brought you to that point? And, and what you hope to achieve through some of the work that you're doing. Because you, you host a podcast, yeah, with, with all due respect, yep. with Michael Jensen, who is part of Sydney Anglican mm. Church. And, and you guys, the whole goal is to sort of disagree compassionately. Or I think, yeah, and not just disagree, but taking two people with some differences and commonalities, and both of those are okay and you explore them, and uh, it's exploration rather than debate. So sometimes, I mean, it's quite interesting that people want things to be more aggressive than they are, um, you know, for ratings or whatever. But it, we, we aren't. I mean, both of us probably are very non-confrontational people. So we're taking some of our weaknesses and making a strength. Uh, but it really is just a, you know, you don't have to agree about everything, but you still can talk about it and there can be some richness and joy in that conversation and that can get you somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. How did, how did it start, like... What's the backstory of... Yeah. So I actually met Michael at a gender conference at um, Morling. And uh, he, this is now out there, so he knows about this. But I was having a very, very bad day. And he walked towards me. I was like, oh, dear Lord, not a Jensen. Like, <laughs> I cannot deal with this today. But anyway, God was like, whatever, Megan. So, um, so then we became friends online and... Um, sort of a bit of a friendship grew online, including both um, just a couple of times praying for each other over things that we put up. And then there was, um, so probably about three years ago now, we had a couple of days running on Facebook where we both were arguing with each other, um, some on his post, some on my post. 
and I was trying to defuse the situation. Uh, so I said, you know, actually, despite some sharp differences, we seem to get on really well. Like, I reckon we could do – this is – you're probably way too young for this reference. I might have to explain it. But I reckon we could do a podcast, a theology podcast, a la um, Marg and Dave from the movie show. Did that – has that just gone completely over your heads? Sounds like a cool story. <laughs> So they were like this old couple on like SBS and then ABC who had a movie show and they um, would sometimes disagree quite a bit about uh, the ratings of movies but were very, very good friends, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, and uh, he actually took me seriously. So that was just a joke on my part but about right. two weeks later he got in touch and said, let's do it and I'm like, like what? <laughs> so I, d- I actually didn't tell him for mums and mums and mums that it was uh, a joke. Yeah. By that stage he was too far in. Well, I love I love what it's setting out to do and I think it does it well. I've actually been listening to a few episodes leading up to this mm. and, um, you know, I, I just love the honest attempt to actually hold the tension rather mm. than to avoid it or to just cut each other off. Mm. Um, you know, polarisation, debate, like differences of opinion feels like such a pronounced reality of our current mm. moment and that's not just a church thing, it's a... a political thing and a broader cultural thing but obviously um, affects what church looks like and as you're researching you know what that looks like in an evangelical kind of framework yeah um, how do you think or or what would be your kind of thoughts on a a picture of how the church in Australia could actually engage in public discourse in a different way in the future well I mean so seriously when we came to start talking about doing the podcast we both were saying there's this thing that we both notice, as you're saying, that there's a lot of polarisation, both in the church and in society, and it's having really bad outcomes. And we wondered whether the church, I mean, this is like pie in the sky stuff, we thought, shouldn't the church be showing a different way for it mm. rather than joining in in the polarisation? And so a lot of what we were seeing that was passing as, as public engagement amongst Christians was um, lining up down those polarised sides. And I think you're still seeing that. And we kind of wanted to say, actually, in Christ, that is not who we are. In Christ, there is unity and difference. And how can we try and help model that? How can we encourage that? So um, we also started a, um, a Facebook group, which has got about 1,200 people in it, which is trying to do that as well. Um, it's, a very, it's actually pretty successful. It's amazing how well it works when you compare it to outside there in uh, social media. Uh, but... We also sort of thought if you could just get people talking to each other and listening to each other, um, that they would see some of the worth that was in each other, that they would find some commonalities that they could work together on, that we could sort of recapture this idea both in evangelicalism in the church, um, in the church I think a common mission, and out in the world um, a common good. Mm. That there are, there are things that we all sort of – we might disagree about how we're going to get there, but there are things we can agree on that are, are goods – that we want to continue. And and I think things like the, the way that we have society together, things like democracy, are really founded an idea of some common ideas about the common good. So, yeah, it's, it's sort of trying to do um, sort of public theology of, of reminding people of the, um, the things that we can work together and, and why it's important to work together to them. Mm. Will and I often talk about it seems like the, the far right, mm. whatever... In, in whatever situation you're talking about and the far left have sort of gone so far right and left that they're coming and meeting yeah. each other and they seem like it's, yeah. al- it's almost the same foundational 
ways of viewing the world. Yeah. Yet, it's like they they're speaking different languages and they just they're speaking past one another. Well, interesting. In fact, because in COVID, what you saw was some of those alt right and alt left um, sort of joining forces and developing conspiracy theories that sort of combine their conspiracy <laughs> yeah. theories and you're like, oh, my goodness, this is not a good outcome. <laughs> um, and actually I think that, that should hopefully have been a warning signal to people that um, we need each other. And, and so my, my research is kind of saying that the tension within evangelicalism, the tensions that we have, can actually be productive. They're not necessarily negative. Mm. They're actually a way of helping each other to hold things together that need to be held that can be difficult to hold together, that can be ongoing conversations and ongoing difference, but without holding those things together, we're starting to miss things, we'll fall apart. Um, yeah, and if we can... I, I think when I see, like, the... Um, one of the things I see, the difference between the... Alt, well, the, the far right and the far left is there's no grace, that's the commonality mm. between them. And so hopefully as Christians, the thing that we can bring to the public conversation is grace. Mm. And I almost feel like sometimes from both Christians on the right and Christians on the left, that is missing or it's yeah. a misunderstood concept. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's very good. Um, obviously, a, a huge part of the whole equation is social media <laughs> and, and whether or not it's a direct cause or whether or not it accelerates what's already there. But there's something about that, I don't know, level of anonymity behind a keyboard that people <laughs> just unleash. Um, so, but you kind of alluded before to the fact that you've got a, a social media group that's working quite well. Yeah. What are your general thoughts on how social media enters this mix and uh, can it actually be used to create genuinely respectful dialogue? I do think social media has been one of the issues, um, partly, as you say, because there's you're not having to deal with face-to-face. Um, I even know, like, that's really come across to me during covid that a lot of ways where you're interacting with people, it's not face-to-face, that you lose really important information without realising it. So you're losing that on social media. Um, But also I think it's because of the way that... You've got to remember that it's owned by large um, companies (laughs) who don't really care about you, right? (laughs) So they're doing... They've got a whole lot of algorithms which, you know, get actually money out of disagreement. Mm. And, um, and also out of you getting your ideas confirmed and that they feed you sort of things that more and more um, get strong reactions from you. So I think you can use it well, but you've actually got to go in um, with an intentionality to use it differently from the way it's telling you to use itself. It's subversive. To yeah. be grace-filled on social media is almost subverting the design of the product. Yeah, and, and actually you can get in trouble for being grace-filled. <laughs> <laughs> like people want you sometimes and want me to, to take, you know, a different, more um, full-on stand about things sometimes. But the, why the, the group works, because it's a group, we have extremely strong moderation. Mm-hmm. Um, which sort of goes against some of this sort of free speech stuff. But I actually think discussion happens better where you put up some parameters in there. Mm. And um, so we're fairly like you've got a couple of chances and you're out. <laughs> or people actually self-select. They just find it's not for them and they, they leave. Um, but that's – within that, within putting some parameters there, people actually – people are scared that they won't be able to say what they think, but they actually have to learn to say what they think in a way that's going to be persuasive and in a way where they're going to continue having relationship. And I actually think that is what happens naturally face-to-face. So what you're doing is trying to put back into the online world what happens in an actual community where you are trying to preserve relationships, where you do a sitting opposite somewhere and you want them to like you and that kind of thing. 
you have etiquette, you have ways that you approach stuff that somehow we felt like you can abandon the online community, but you can't. <laughs> so, and I do think that for Christians, there's been a real, and I've written stuff about this online, but there's been a real Christian um, thing of saying, look, the, the holy thing is to abandon social media. It's a corrupting influence. Um, it produces bad outcomes. But considering it still continues there, I think that there's an argument to say that Christians who are able to do this should be in it as a leavening presence, should be in there trying to bring grace, trying to show a different way of being, of, 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 of true community there. Mm. Yeah, it's a, a real interesting tension to ride there. I, I have the the desire to run away from social media, mm-hmm. realising how much it forms me, how much it distracts mm. me, how much it infuriates me uh, and keeps me addicted that way. Um, but the other thing, you, you can do that to a sense of just leaving society, you know, and, yeah, and, yeah. And, and not actually presenting a voice or an alternate way in the midst of that. And I think there's probably a tension to ride there. but At Always tensions <laughs> to ride. But, yeah, I mean, there is, I think, almost an Amish kind of way of, like, we'll just withdraw. Mm. I mean, like the sort of social media Benedict option, if you know. Yeah. But, I mean, and for some people maybe that's where they're at, that that's a good thing for them to do. But I do think, yeah, you cannot – that's something we're not called as Christians to do is to leave communities without the presence of witnesses to Christ. And you talked about the group works because of moderation. Mm. And I wonder if individual social media use is better when there's appropriate moderation. You know, if I have my own strictly enforced and I need, you know, other technological tools to help me mm. have good boundaries around how much and when I use social media. But I just think maybe the the kind of principle that's working in the group with the right parameters is the same thing we need to apply. If we're going to stay on, what are the moderating boundaries? What groups are going to trigger the worst in me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe can I wade more gently into some conversations where I can genuinely contribute without becoming the worst version of myself? And I think that that's and probably something that should be – I mean, we have that in Scripture – that communication is not a place for you to get your needs met. Communication is a place for you to love people. And so social media and your communication in social media, you need to be really intentional. Like I'll write lots of posts that I then delete because <laughs> I go, is this going to achieve anything that I want it to achieve? Is this going to be constructive? How is this going to be read? It's a communication exercise mm. and I need to do that in a prayerful Manner, absolutely. And also on my posts, like, um, I know that com- I've been told compared to, like, male public figures, um, Christian figures, that I'm much more um, hardline on moderating my own posts. But I really want there to be, as much as I can, um, a good feeling that people feel they can come and speak about things that are important to them. Otherwise, why bother? So, yeah, I'll get rid of misinformation on my posts. Mm. <laughs> I'll kick people off for not uh, talking. But, I mean, that requires energy, you know. Mm. So you've got to kind of think, I think, before you post, do I have the energy to deal properly with this post? And if I don't, I shouldn't. If I don't have the time to deal with what's going to happen, then I shouldn't post it. I shouldn't sort of just, you know, it's like in a, in a conversation with another friend. You're not going to, well, you shouldn't sort of go, I think everything that you think about the world is wrong and then just walk off. <laughs> You know, it's not you've, – you've got to be prepared to do the hard work of the conversation if you're going to go and uh, contribute. Mm. You said before that one of the keys to engaging in diverse thinking mm. or debate or uh, disagreement is grace. Mm. Do you have any tips around um, engaging in a- a- any topics that 
come up. You know, there's a whole spectrum and an array mm-hmm. of things. But how do you engage with grace? Uh, I, you know what? I don't really do Twitter much because that for me, and so I'm not having a go at anyone that does use it and maybe they've got better ways of dealing with it, but for me Twitter feels really disconnected. It just feels like throwing stuff out into the ether. While for me um, I want to know the people that are my Facebook friends. I want to engage with them as whole people. Um, so, you know, there might be someone – you know, I've got some people who really disagree with me and my Facebook friends – but I, I, I want to engage with, you know, it's my wedding anniversary or um, I just got a new kitten or I, I want to see them as the real people that I'd see them if I saw them in community rather than just debating ideas. And so I'm really committed to doing that. Um, and that's – and praying for the people that are on my feed and so on. And that actually changes your heart. It changes how they react to you because they start seeing you as a real person who's caring. But it changes your heart too because you start – stop seeing them as just this these words on a screen. So I think there's some Facebook friends – I don't want to name any of them, but, you know, some of them that initially – well, maybe my podcast host. <laughs> but, you know, that you initially think that, oh, like you've got a really sort of two-dimensional idea of them. And even if they can still really annoy – he doesn't, but it, it really annoy you, you can still see that there is this person there that God loves. I guess that's – that for me, that's not – I don't want sort of a cheap grace where we downgrade people who do evil things or we don't acknowledge injustice because that's really important to me. But I want to recognise the sort of, you know, as we say the offence of the cross, that that God has love for all people wherever they are and that's what I'm called to as well. Mm. Yeah, I was talking to a psychologist recently for another project I was working on and he, he sort of used the phrase, it's hard to hate a person that you know. Yeah. And I think that's what you're saying, right? Mm. It, when they're just an abstract avatar representing mm. a certain idea, it's very easy to, to hate mm. them. But when that same idea is held by the person that you know, you love, you enjoy hanging out with them, you know that you've got similar interests, Yeah, um, it totally changes it. So I think there's there's wisdom in that. I think the flip side is that sometimes in this conversation, grace could almost be used as a bit of a um, don't challenge things that need to be challenged or don't actually have difficult conversations it can almost be like a diffusing presence that continues to privilege maybe the abuse of power absolutely yeah and i mean i think i'm fairly known um both in i think the podcast but even more on my own um profile where it's much more just my voice um of of standing up against particular injustices like i do that because i think you can stand up verbally against an injustice but you're doing so in a way that's just making you feel good about yourself but you're not actually being a change agent. Mm. Like that for me is I w- sometimes I don't speak and people would have rather I spoke but I've, I've just judged rightly or wrongly that at that moment I'm going to produce better change long term if I don't say it in that way on social media or whatever. So for me it's not so much about speaking the words but about um, – yeah, wanting to be someone who's strong on injustice and strong on recognising, like, systemic problems and um, abuse and so on, but in a, not in a way that therefore doesn't bring people alongside me. Because I think one of the problems is that a lot of us want change within society, but for change to occur, and particularly in a democratic society, you need to bring people to your point of view to some degree mm-hmm. and you're not going to do that by sort of just having your say without any care about how it's going to be understood 
and not trying to sort of see that because almost see a, a kind of a, a desire for change alongside almost an un, unsort of stated belief that people can't change. Mm. But those two things aren't going to work together. Well, I mean, that is, again, like the grace. So, so real grace is not just that anything goes because the gospel is a story of transformation. So when we give grace to people, we are inviting them into transformation. And that's, that's what I want to do. I don't want to leave people um, in an unjust um, or abusive situation at all. Uh, I want to be able to do what I can to change that, to be transformative <coughs> for individuals and transformative for, for society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. It's, it's, it's almost as though, um, you know, you can't, you can't argue someone into changing. <laughs> and often, in my experience anyway, uh, the more you push against someone you know, the, the more um, structured they'll become in their own beliefs and, and firm in what they already held as a, as a defence mechanism, you know, mm-hmm, fight or flight mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so what you're saying is sort of uh, it's actually through relationship and grace and, and speaking similar language and, and inviting people into process and I guess being willing to be changed yourself. Um, yeah, yeah, that's obviously, yeah. Because <laughs> I do know one of the things with the podcast was um, people were sort of happy if they felt I might change Michael or if they're coming from his end that he might change me. Hmm. And, you know, we had to kind of say, um, look, the reality is if you're journeying in this relationship together, if it's a real relationship, if it's an important one, we will change each other. Hmm. I, mean, that's what, I mean, that's what we think about hmm. Jesus, isn't it? That that's a life-changing relationship. So obviously as Christians we should think that relationships change people. So you... That, and that that's scary for people. Mm. And it's mutual. Yeah. You know, your, your change goes both ways. Yeah. Do you think, you know, I sort of think about these things sometimes and I wonder about um, is there a role for that fiery prophetic voice that no one thinks they're grace-filled in a way but they almost like because and I'm still sort of wrestling with it but sometimes it's like that person is not necessarily bringing everyone along but they light a bit of a fire and then if people pick up the conversation in respectful ways is that part of the gift mix of the church does that make sense you know people that at the time everyone's like this person's off their rocker but at the same time maybe they're actually starting the conversation in a way that it needs a bit of force it's interesting because I think yeah I've wrestled with this too but I wonder whether some of that you know you've heard similar things about um, we need strong leaders and that's been um, a way that a lot of abusive characteristics have been allowed to mm. let, let slide with strong leaders because we go, oh, but, you know, if you're going to have this leader that will take everyone with them, then you've got to put up with these not-so-Christ-like qualities. So, I mean, sort of hard line <laughs> on that <laughs> is that we all should be Christ-like. I don't think mm. <laughs> I don't think we say, well, this is not Christ-like but that's okay. But I guess we need to have a, a nuanced, full understanding of who Christ is. Mm. So that's something to wrestle with in that go back into the scriptures and understand who Jesus is. And it might be there's something that we're uncomfortable with is not necessarily non-Christ-like. Yeah. Well, we're sometimes Jesus' with. words don't look – yeah. they, they don't look like a gentle, warm, fuzzy grace. They look like, you know, um, actually speaking – to power in a way that is performative and that is um, – it has a sort of energy around it that obviously is Christ-like but it's also like that doesn't look the same way in every situation and with every group of people. Well, and then I think that's crucial is that I've sometimes had 
people tell me off actually for um, saying something quite full on about uh, another person in the church, which I should. I mean, and I don't think there's any room for being <clears throat> um, slanderous or insulting in that kind of yeah. But I think that um, what we see Jesus do is he's much more firm towards people inside the faith. Mm. And he's, if someone's outside, um, it's not quite the same dynamic. But it is those people who are setting themselves up as faith leaders that Jesus reserves his strongest, um, most um, biting um, comments for. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that that's and, – and, but often what you see, not necessarily because I can think of some examples that are not that, but a lot of what's happening with polarisation, it's not that we're talking in and trying to get ourselves to change, but rather we're putting out – um, statements that are completely in alignment <laughs> with whatever group that we identify with and we're contributing the polarisation. And I actually think if you really want to be like Jesus, you need to be able to... And so I can think of some people on the right who I think do this. You need to be able... Obviously, I think people on the left do it because I'm on the left. <laughs> but I can think of people on the right that I really appreciate. They will speak up in that way against people on their, in their own group mm. who they think are doing something which is completely... Um, not acceptable. And that, I would have loved to see that with some of the people that things like Rabbi Zacharias or some of the stuff that's come out mm. recently, um, to, you know, an ability to say, even though this person is in my group, I will stand up and say when they're doing the wrong thing and they need to be um, taken out of positions or whatever it is. That's where I'd like to see more. And I think if you can do that, that shows an integrity that opens people different from yourself up to listening to you. Mm. I think that is such a good point because Jesus, obviously his his harshest words were against the Pharisees, but, mm. but probably in terms of theological conviction, mm-hmm. who, who he was hanging around, the the sort of education system, he was he was part of that system. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's that's such an important point that the critique is coming from within, and it's mm. it's mm. Um, it's not you know at the the, the Roman, you know, cult down the road necessarily that Jesus is talking to, but it's, yeah. but it's his people and there's there's obviously a level of being known and relationship there um, and he's in spaces where he actually can engage with those diverse opinions and talk about that. And and one of the things that I think social media is, is there's, a, there's a flip side of both things, it's that it, it fuels kind of this like this – uh, attacking one another, but it also is an mm. echo chamber a- mm-hmm. in which we can like slowly pass off all the voices that we w- that we don't agree with. How how do you ensure that you c- keep diverse voices in your life and and engaging with that? Because I think I think that is one of the, the big keys for the church moving forward. That we don't just segregate things so much that we just like put mm-hmm. put the the lefties over here and the righties over there, and we don't we don't ever touch you know um but how do we as local congregations and and more as a global church and Mm. you know across movement and across different movements do you have any thoughts around how do we continue to cultivate that yeah um i mean with social media i think my policy has been not to make decisions about who i interact with purely on some of those group loyalties or anything like that like in fact i'm probably too slow to blocker unfriend I've kind of had to learn how to do that with a public profile but um yeah I've made concerted efforts on social media not to have an echo chamber as much as you I mean to a certain extent you can't control all of that with 
with I think your relationships and community, um, I was just thinking about this actually on the way here that what we tend to do is, I mean, you know, that in the world but not of the world, we, we apply that really badly, I think, in that um, often we just get very siloed um, face-to-face relationships where it's just our church community or it's just other churches like ours. And so we don't become part of our local community even to the extent of other churches in that community. But yet what where we are, so we're going, oh, we're being in the world but not of the world. But in fact, we're not even in the world. We've just got our own little bubble. But where we are being of the world <laughs> is in stuff like um, our political um, uh, loyalties and um, the things that are important to us like materialism or um, holding on to our privilege or whatever. So we've got it completely the wrong way around. While in fact we should be in our communities, we should be part of the, the physical places or, or other kind of connections that we have in a way that says these are real people, these are people given to me to love even though we've got differences. That's where we should be really connected in terms of, you know, then becoming part of these overarching conversations in which we just go along our political loyalties. That's where we should resist (laughs) that Mm. kind of being of the world. Um, And I think if if we develop more real relationships with people within our communities or people that are – that we have that kind of proximity to, not the kind of we think everything alike – that will actually open our eyes to why people might think differently and help to shape us. And I do have found with my own podcast, for instance, which is like, you know, um, one of my probably most uh, intimate relationships now because <laughs> we're doing everything with it all week, every week, that that being able to – we've both found that has really helped us to understand where the other one might be coming from and almost and open it up to other people because once you open yourself up to one person who's unlike you, they've got a, a, a circle of friends that mm. you then open yourself up to. Like, you know, now I've got a whole lot of Sydney Anglican Facebook friends, <laughs> which has actually been a joy. You know, I'm laughing about it, but that, that's a joy because you get to know that community and it's always more complex and interesting than from the outside. Mm, that's really helpful. I think it's just obviously true that it's very easy to uh, see all the faults with another group Mm. while missing all the ones with your own. And when you hang out with someone who represents the different denomination or the different kind of tribe or the different perspective and you actually build a relationship, you see what in your tribe needs a bit of reforming, not just what you think in theirs needs it. So Mm -hmm. I think that's really helpful. And I love your reframe around getting that in, not of thing right where it matters yeah 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 that's huge and it it all comes back down to self-moderation as well right Mm -hmm. how who are you letting into your world how are you opening yourself up to others how are you moderating yourself and the way that you engage with social media or in in conversations or diverse you know topics um i just think that that's such a good point that the self self self-moderation thing Mm. i mean that's i mean let's not that will that there, there's a danger to that that it will change you that'll change your life like so when I said earlier on I have two 16 year olds well one of them is um, I'm a guardian to <laughs> so her her mum died a year or so ago and um, and so she become part of our life she was mother mum in our community and become part of our life and and then um, so much part of our life that we've ended up with her daughters become my daughter um, but that's the thing if you if you give yourself into other people, 
um, you develop these really significant relationships um, which have a real truth and meaning to them where you can really impact each other's lives. Mm, that's beautiful. Do you have any tips, you know, people listening that want their like hot five or like the <laughs> things they can write down, but just your top tips for engaging in conversations with conviction, with a sense of, you know, yep. actually bringing yourself to the conversation um, while maintaining a desire to build real relationship? First one I'd say is desperate honesty <laughs> with yourself and then with other people. If you can't admit both your own and your group's um, weaknesses, then you've got no hope of being allowed to talk into someone else's situation. Um, so you need to be publicly honest. You need to also therefore be um, apologetic when you should be, repentant when you should be. Uh, because, again, so, I mean, a lot of it, it really is just integrity. Mm. <laughs> so I think conviction's about integrity. We tend to think of conviction as about passion and that excuses everything. But actually I think of myself as a very convicted person, but it's with integrity. If that mm. conviction is important to me, then that needs to flow out through who I am in the world. I must be a person who lives out who I am and so I must always be constantly taking myself back to prayer and going... And being open without hearing every... So I'm not very good at five tips. That's fine. <laughs> this is not my... But, yeah, uh, I'd be hopeless at those BuzzFeed things. <laughs> <laughs> but, the yeah, you, you, you need to be open to hearing the critique of yourself. But in, in a, when, when I hear any critique of myself, and there's a lot, I do take... I do reflect on it. But I do so not necessarily with the person who's giving the critique. They may not be a safe person, but I do that with my safe people. Yeah. So having some some people that – and it's good to have some safe people who think differently from you. So, yeah, Michael is like that for me in that we don't agree with everything but we find each other really safe um, so that we can talk things over. And, and we actually will do that with social media, go, hang on, do you, what did you think? Was I out of line just there or whatever? Like, you know, the other day he said to me, I'm glad you delivered that post I went <laughs> Okay, that's that's telling me it was very gentle, but um, that's that's what you need. Which I think again, this is just this is just discipleship one hundred and one, right? It's again saying if you if you are not going to walk along that really humbling path with Jesus, then don't think that you can bring others to be disciples. That's very good. Um, a lot of our listeners are church planters mm -hmm. or they're they're you know wanting to start something uh some sort of new in endeavor or yeah. be missional in their neighborhood or um you know just push into the new mm. do you have any advice for someone who's you know forming a new community or team mm. around how do we keep diversity and diverse opinions and um ensuring that there's healthy tension and relationship in a community from the get-go. Do you have any thoughts around that? Interestingly, I was – because I was thinking, oh, I've never planned a church, but actually I kind of did. <laughs> so I, um, my longest pastoral ministry for 11 years was in a Chinese context and I was the founding pastor of the English-speaking congregation. So it was in a context where it was completely a different culture from mine. <laughs> so actually that was a really formative thing for me where I kind of had to learn to be quiet and to kind of go, I, the, I don't necessarily have all the answers here. <laughs> like, I need to listen. And sometimes God's going to work things out without me putting my oar in, which was a lot of the time. Um, but I needed to respect the context that I was in. And I think that that's – when you go in somewhere, you need to respect that context. You need to reach out to people who are in that context and get them 
to journey alongside you. You can't do... You know, there's sort of a model of church planting, I think, where you, you go in with a whole lot of people from outside and you go into a new context. <laughs> and it's kind of like bad mission work in the past, you know. Um, but, it, but I think that there's natural diversity and natural difference within any context you go into and that's what you need to discover and reach out to. And I think also if you go in with a not... I'm now doing the fantastic thing that's going to change everything and whatever. <laughs> but if you go in with, I am just part of God's plans for this context. Um, so how can I see what else God is doing in here and how can that shape what I'm doing rather than coming in with my prefab idea? Because uh, a lot of my prefab ideas had to be removed <laughs> when I went into pastoral ministry in a different context. Um, and that was ended up being quite successful. But, yeah, it's – and that's a humility again. It's, it's again, going, look, I'm not the la- – like, and that's – I mean, even coming to speak to you today, I'm, like, thinking, who am I? Like, there's people that really don't like me, so how do I talk <laughs> about being able to reach a gross difference? Uh, but it is that hu- humility of saying, I'm just one of the people that God is walking alongside and I need to be open to seeing – what God is doing in other people, in other groups, because that's honouring God. Yeah. And I think it's safe to say that anybody, whether they're engaging respectfully or disrespectfully, anyone who's sort of saying anything has a whole group of people that doesn't like them. So (laughs) that's got nothing to do with you necessarily. It's got more to do with those people. Um, All right, rapid fire time. Mm I'm going to ask you a few one word or one sentence questions. Sure. First one, what do you think is the biggest danger? to the future of the church in Australia? Um, I think the church thinks that it's the government and I think it's the church itself. <laughs> so I think if the church gets off the main game, I actually, I'm very, you know, classic evangelical here. I think we need to make the gospel the main game and I think we often haven't. We need to understand what the gospel is. But yeah, that's the main thing. Get back to that. What's giving you hope about the future of the church in Australia? Uh, I actually, uh, probably this is from social media, I think there's a lot of people who want to see change. I think there's a lot of people who really do have God's heart and we need to empower those people to do that rather than getting caught up into culture wars. Mm, Very good. What is influencing you right now, Megan? Books, podcasts, things that you're kind of (laughs) tuning into? (laughs) See, maybe I'm not putting the right influences in. I'm just listening on the way here to Jonathan Swan's um, How It All Happened with Trump. Nice. <laughs> but I guess it's like saying, you know, this is like a model of, of, of how things shouldn't happen. <laughs> um, you know, why process and uh, law is important and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, actually, and that's, that's, uh, that has an important lesson for us. I think that whole scenario, which was awful, teaches us that sometimes being really convicted um, and wanting to passionately get your way is not great if you go about it in a bad way. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you need sort of be able and, – and this may be showing my age as I'm getting older – that uh, you need to be able to work in a way that's going to produce long-term viable solutions for a society. If you had one book only mm-hmm. that you had infinite copy, copies of, you could give away to anyone. Isn't there like a just one answer for this? Yeah. You can't say that answer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, apart from the Bible, yeah. <laughs> what would you give away? I mean, I would. I just 
just want people to read the Bible more and enjoy it. Um, it's like a library. Uh, I would give a book of poetry, actually. Yes. I'm a poet. Um, yeah, as uh, yourself. And, um, and I, I actually think one of the things that would help the church today is to get back into literature, to get back into poetry because it, it sort of gets around some of that polarisation. It gets around some of those cut and dried answers and opens us up to thinking in different ways. And it deals with nuance better. Mm. Uh, so Giving you some clicks on the mic yeah. right now. <laughs> so that, I think, yeah. I mean, the thing is, um, it'd be too big a book if it had a whole lot of novels in it. So let's just go with a book of, I don't know, contemporary Australian poets. Beautiful. Maybe we've got a little project here. Yeah, I love it. All right, thinking of those who are listening who are maybe uh, yeah in that position of wanting to start something new, mm-hmm. um, new church, new missional endeavour, New, maybe just new approach to where they already are. But what would be your kind of couple of sentences of advice? Oh gosh, I just, I just um, stumble into things. <laughs> <laughs> so for the fellow stumblers, <laughs> I'm sure there's a few stumblers out there. And and, and God does God does things. I mean, yeah, maybe that's it. Don't take yourself too seriously. Like God is big and loves you and enjoys you and. You know, make mistakes, go, oh, oh well, try stuff on. Um, yeah, don't think this thing's going to have to work to mean that you were doing great things for God. Probably the things that were great things for God were the things you didn't even notice that you were doing. <laughs> you know, just living um, a life of integrity wherever you are often is where you're doing the great things for God. So, yeah, bit of humility, bit of not taking yourself seriously. Um, and... Um, Enjoy yourself with God. Wonderful. Uh, how can people connect with you and your your work? How can people follow along? Uh, yeah, so you can make friends with me. As we've heard, I take all comers <laughs> <laughs> uh, on Facebook mainly, um, but I'm also on Twitter under Megan Powell Dutrois. Um, Instagram if you like cats and cake because that's all I do on there. Uh, and then um, I do write for various publications, but if you follow me, you'll find that out. I've got a website where you can see my poetry. Uh, then with all due respect, uh, there's the podcast, which is by Eternity News. So you can find that wherever you find podcasts. And Michael and I also have a fledgling project called The Water Project, which is about developing this in a broader way. And the podcast is just part of it. And that has its own website too, which it's very new, but we're trying to develop that. So you can find that too. Wonderful. We'll put links to all that in the show notes. But thank you so much, Megan. It has been a delightful conversation. And uh, despite some fierce disagreement at times, I think (laughs) we all managed to respect each other. Yeah, yeah. I'll take you to task later. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Well, there you go. Our conversation with Megan, a good one. Mm. One of the good ones, which is all of them. I agree. But it's it was I, a, I disagree respectfully. <laughs> I think they're all great. With but all, I respect your opinion. <laughs> with all due respect, I disagree with your opinion. I think they're all great. Is that what you said? Yeah. Oh. yeah I guess you we, only think they're good, <laughs> but you know good is the enemy of great. Wow. Respectfully speaking. I know a book that tells you how to get from good to great. <laughs> <laughs> don't, anyway. let, don't let the... Uh, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah. That's why I always tell people. <laughs> anyway, I, I not relevant right now. <laughs> I still respect you, man. 
Thank you. I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> okay. Uh, Benj, what was your takeaway? Uh, my takeaway was, I, I love how she was talking about how actually the best place to critique the system is from within. Mm. I was thinking about Jesus' life and that Jesus um, spoke most harshly to the uh, religious system that he was in. You know, he, had, he didn't actually leave the the, the Judeo, Judeo kind of, like religious system, mm. temples, Sabbath, you know, he was actually within it, reforming it from the inside. Mm. I think that's the best place to do that. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I do think that's like a a modern conundrum is when to leave and when, well, maybe it's not a modern conundrum, but when to leave and when to stay. Yeah. And sometimes there is maybe a good reason to leave, but yeah. I think the insistence on as long as there is a, an opportunity for me to stay with integrity and be a part of, the system's continual evolution. Yes. I think that's a beautiful idea. Yes. Mm. Love it. What about your takeaway? The thing that I am left with after that conversation, I feel like Megan just had a, just a really strong, uncompromised need for grace mm. in every conversation. I just feel like her approach was all disagreement through a lens of grace. Yeah. And I don't hear that as a, permission for anything goes but just a firm commitment to let's see each other through through the eyes of grace where we disagree and I yeah think that's it. you know even just to take away that as a when i'm in conversations that feel conflicty to ask am i communicating through a lens of grace yeah and the thing that uh, i love to talk about the thing that's missing on the polar ends the extreme ends of left mm. or right or whatever continuum you're, you're talking about is the lack of grace. Yes. The, the lack of understanding, favor, empathy towards the other. Very and true. And I think that is, that's key to disagreeing well. Mm. Even though I disagree with you, I will still give you grace, Will. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> I feel it. Well, good friends, uh, join us in our Facebook group. Let us know what you thought of that. Hey, if you're game, maybe start a spicy little potential disagreement. Ooh. throw out a bit of a grenade with respect I think grace. so yeah let's see what happens let's see if we can uh, actually live this stuff out maybe we can award you know a star rating to how how disagreeable someone's statement is in the Facebook group yeah sounds good we'll see you there you can also leave a review for this podcast help others find it or you can share it with a friend that's always very helpful thank you for joining on the journey and we will see you next week Hey, it's Jamie. Join me and some friends next week for a roundtable discussion where we unpack the ideas from this episode and what they look like in different contexts.